Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had Lisa and Travis come and stay with us at our house, and uh, they're, they're teenagers or close to teenager. Well, Travis is close, I think, and Lisa's a teenager, and um, they came and stayed at our house. And so we had these uh, six kids, big kids, uh, singing. No, sorry, that's what they weren't doing. They were playing a lot of music. So we've got, kind of got one teenager and one close. So you've got these four kind of teenager types and then two little ones. And they were playing this incredible music together. Um, and they're just remarkable. But w- the hardest thing to get them to do was to sing, yeah. to like lift their voices and fill the house with music. Because uh, singing is a different level. It's quite a thing here. We have a young teenage girl's song recorded for us in Scripture. I mean, if you were nervous of singing in front of your biggest fans, her song is recorded forever. And so it's, it's remarkable as we think about that, that, we're, that recorded as Scripture is a song of a teenage girl. God loves using oddballs. Oddballs is usually a, an offensive word. And, but when you think about that movie, Oddballs, you, you know, the movie, I, I think there's a movie called Oddballs, maybe about soccer or something. Um, it's about like the down and outs, the ones you don't expect to win winning, right? God loves using oddballs, the people that we least expect. And a teenage girl, to record her song as scripture is certainly unexpected. And so if you feel like you're someone that's unlikely to be used in a dramatic way by God, or in a wonderful, well, that's great news, because God loves using people that uh, don't look like they would get used. Um, in some Christian groups, Mary gets so much attention. She gets too much attention. She gets, she gets exalted into this kind of like a bit better, like a bit of a superhuman level where, you know, maybe we'll pray to her or maybe we'll uh, hold her in higher regard than we hold other Christian people. Um, but the Bible doesn't do this. Uh, interestingly enough, just two short statistics, which I hope you uh, are okay with. Uh, Jesus gets mentioned more than 1,200 times. In Scripture, Mary gets mentioned 19 times in Scripture. In the list of women mentioned in the Bible, uh, Mary comes after, she comes sixth. That's not bad. In a race of all the women in the Bible, sixth isn't bad, but she's not first. And she comes after Sarah, Esther, Rachel, Leah, Rebecca, and Jezebel. (laughs) For those of you who are not too sure about the giggles, Jezebel is always, if anyone has ever called you Jezebel, that is always an insult. Uh, A very, very, very wicked, evil, godless character in the scriptures. And Mary is mentioned less times than her. The point is that if God was trying to raise and exalt Mary, he did a very poor job of it in scripture. Um, When Jesus is, uh, Jesus is quite direct, when, Mary's bro- when Mary and Jesus' brothers are trying to get to Jesus one day, he's busy teaching and there's just such a crowd. And so they're trying to get to him and someone comes and tells him, um, Jesus, uh, can you, you, your, bro- your mother and, and uh, brothers are here. And in that culture, family is first. So you would leave anything to go and speak to your mom. But, but mom is being... Um, uh, held back by the crowd, and, and Jesus comes and gets told. Jesus says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's quite direct. In other words, uh, you know, you can tell them to wait. I'm already speaking to my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the word of God, they are my family. Um, another time, uh, again, uh, Mary struggling to... Um, no, sorry, a woman cries out. 
in the crowd. Jesus is teaching and a woman cries out. She just loves Jesus. She thinks he's the best. She's a big fan. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she's a massive fan. And she yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. That's not, in other words, she's praising Mary, not Jesus. And Jesus replies, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see that, right? I mean, she's glorifying Mary, and Jesus goes, no, don't glorify Mary. If you're going to glorify someone, glorify someone who hears God's word and does it. Spend time talking about them. And it's not to suggest that Mary didn't hear God's word and did it. We know that she did. But, but Jesus is helping us see that we shouldn't exalt Mary in that way. We should lift up those who hear God's word and do it. So what counted wasn't someone's biological connection to Jesus, but their faith in God. So Mary isn't someone that we should exalt. Mary is someone that we should emulate. And the reason I'm, I'm going after Mary to begin with is not to hack at her and diminish her, but because actually she's in Scripture so that we can learn from her, so that we can hear her, so we can emulate her. Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What a bold statement. I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1, around there somewhere. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What a statement. Can you say that to someone? I mean, don't just say, don't repeat after me. I'm saying, what in your, what in your life can you turn to someone else and say, do as I do because I'm doing as Christ did? But there was something going on in Paul's life. And in a similar way, we should, Mary can say, emulate me. Emulate my faith because I know how to walk with the Lord. And so she's an example to us of faith that we should emulate. In this song that, we're going to re- that we've read, you're going to see uh, three things. What made Mary fit for service, what God is like, and what God is doing in the world. And the best way to look at this is backwards. And so uh, we're going to start with, what is God doing in this world? And if you uh, look at between ch- uh, verse 51 and 54, that's what Mary's describing, what God's doing in the world. And what she says is, um, God is showing the strength of His arm. How's God showing the strength of His arm? What is He doing? God is showing the strength of His arm. This is what God's doing. He's turning everything upside down. He's turning everything inside out. He's turning everything back to front. How's God showing the strength of His arm? He's working within cultures and nations and all peoples, no matter how smart you are, no matter how smart you aren't, no matter what your age is, and He can turn life upside down. He can turn it inside out. He can turn it back to front. Mary's song goes like this. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, but He has helped His servant in remembrance of His mercy. That's turning something upside down. The people that should, uh, should, should be strong, he's scattering. The people that should be weak, he's remembering. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he has exalted those of humble estate. He's turning things upside down. He's, uh, he, the rich he has sent away empty, but he has filled the hungry with good things. He's turning everything upside down. Those who have all the resources they need to be filled are finding that their life is empty. And those who have no resources, they've got nothing to fill their lives, are finding that they have, are being filled by God. He's turning things around. No society works like this. The Bible teaches us this consistently. Hannah sings a song in the Old Testament. She sings, Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased 
to hunger. God has been like this consistently, turning things around throughout the history of humanity. In the New Testament, James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I remember the first time I heard that verse, I didn't, rea- I didn't realize that was, that's what God was like. It terrified me. I didn't know God opposed the proud and gave grace to the humble. You know, obviously, when I heard it, I felt like someone who was gladly proud. <laughs> he doesn't show mercy to the proud. Who are the proud then? The proud are those who have no need for God. This is how the people are described here in, in Mary's song. This is how the proud are described, those who have no need for God. Those who trust their own thoughts and ways, one. Those who trust their own power to control their circumstances, two. Those who trust in their own resources, three. Anyone in this room um, feel like those are, are less kind of just left in the realm of theory and scripture and more in the realm of life? Don't raise your hand, but anyone know that the, anyone know how to trust your own thoughts and ways? Is anyone tempted? And again, you don't have to answer this, but is anyone ever tempted to do something that you, that you think is right, even though you may have heard that there's a different way? Or you know God's way, but you just would rather go your way? You know how culture gives that, esteems that, raises that, exalts that? If you do something your way, you will be applauded. If you concede your opinion to other, you will be thought of as very weak. And yet Scripture says that, that God opposes the independent individuals who do things the way that they think is best. Whew! Those who trust their own power to control their circumstances. Gosh. Anyone ever tried to do this? Control your circumstances? Control your work environment? Control a, a child, your child? Control a spouse? Control a boyfriend or girlfriend? Control yourself? Those who trust in their own resources. Is your, is your peace... Is your experience of life, not, your, not, your, not what you would say you trust in, but your experience of life, is your life adversely affected by the adverse, adversity on your resources, by the diminishing of your resources? Are you having a better day when the stock that you bought grew by 20% overnight? And is your day falling apart when the stock market plummeted? It's not saying one's good or one's bad. It's not saying you need to enjoy it. It's just saying where's the trust in? What, what are we trusting in? So there are, there's primarily two ways that, in other, that we can be pri- prideful. Uh, pride can be the, another term for the proud because I don't think anyone in this room, we're far too intelligent. None of us are going to raise our hand and say, I'm a proud person. I don't think. Some of you will, but, but you're the kind. Oh, there we go. We've got one. We have one taker. Uh, thank you. But, but another way of saying the proud person is saying the self-reliant person. Someone who relies on their self, on their resources, their, their thoughts, their beliefs, their intelligence, blah, 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 blah. Um, and we, can, we all can be like that. And our culture raises self-reliant people. So um, it's quite normal. So, okay, and there's two ways that self-reliant people are seen. Here's the first way. And, and normally these two, pe- these two groups of people, they, they dislike each other. They think that the other one is so bad they kind of cling to their side, of, of, but they both are equally self-reliant. 
they're both equally prideful. Let me show you them. Um, uh, Luke writes later on in Luke, Luke 18, 19 to 14, he says, uh, He also told the parable to some who trusted, so he's talking about Jesus, some who trusted in themselves, the self-reliant, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. How wonderful am I? But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So you firstly, you have this kind of religious, proud person. If you don't like the word religious, it's someone who gets stuck in the world of superior and inferior. They see people as superior or inferior. If you're this kind of person, then you you think of yourself as superior to other people or better than other people, or maybe you see yourself as inferior to other people. Everyone around you is better than you. Other people get something, you feel insecure. Other people do something well, you you turn that inward and you feel bad about yourself. You should have done better uh, or or the other way around. You do something well, everyone else should be more like you. That's the kind of, uh, this this type of self-reliant, prideful person, the, the person who sees life as superior and inferior to others. But then there's another kind of prideful person as well. Um, it's the indifferent person. Romans 1, 28 to 32, Paul writes, And since they did not see fit, remember that a prideful person is someone that has no need for God. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They were gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Live your best life. Do what's right for you. Everyone has their own truth. You've got the indifferent, the leave me alone, the secular, the culture we live in primarily. But then you have the Pharisees, the religious, the the superior, inferior. Oftentimes within Christianity, there's the this kind of uh, culture, but they're both equally wrong, but there's not always the this kind of culture. There can be, but we just don't usually prefer it. Why? Because it's easier to control people in this culture. So that's probably why we prefer it. It's because you can kind of say, this is what a Christian would do. And then, you, you know, someone has to kind of listen to that. So the superior, inferior. But also the indifferent. Don't tell me what to do. What right do you have to speak into my life? I remember someone, there was a, a funny story. I'm, not, I'm going to come out looking good in this story, uh, but, I, 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 but it's not always true of life. But they said, um, actually, I might not. Some of you who are indifferent won't think I look good in this story. Uh, called, there, was, there was a guy, and he was, um, there was a guy and a girl, and they were dating in the church, and they were uh, sleeping together. And so said to them, hey, you guys are going to probably have to stop that uh, as you walk with Jesus. That's probably something you need to really prayerfully consider and, and kind of stop. Because they knew. They knew God's kind of thoughts on uh, where sex belonged and uh, what marriage was about. So it wasn't like they were ignorant. The person said, well, I'm never coming back to church because you don't have the right to speak to me and tell me how to live my life. 
And uh, you, in other words, you don't know me. And well, you're, you're right and you're wrong. I don't know how long it's going to take before we know each other long enough to be able to say something like that. But this I know, that through the Spirit, you know me, I know you, we are one in Christ, we walk with Jesus, and we don't need 10 years of fellowship to be able to help each other love Jesus more. Uh, the, ne- the next week, they were back in, in, um, they were back in fellowship, and, and actually they responded beautifully and, and uh, just saw a wonderful uh, move of God's grace, not only in that aspect of the relationship, but in various. She, she got saved, became a Christian, um, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's the indifferent. How dare you tell me how to live? How dare you point something out? Who do you think you are? And it's hard. And this is a hard call because you don't know. If you're, if you're someone like this, you're making life of your brothers and sisters a living hell because they don't know what they're allowed to say. If you're like this and let's say you're in a community group and, and you just decided not to show up, your community group leader doesn't know what to do. Am I allowed to tell them that that was disappointing or will that be adversely received? Am I allowed to say, please show up because everyone else kind of prepares for you and loves you and is expecting you? Or do you just leave them alone because we're in a culture that doesn't tell people how to live? Where if you're over here and you're a person who's prone to inferiority and superiority, you're so much easier to disciple because we can just use condemnation all day long. <laughs> you know, if you were serious about God, you really would start showing up on time. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. Inferiority. If you wanted to be superior, you would show up. Right? But it's equally self-reliant. They're equally prideful. Don't, don't choose one. That's not the goal. <laughs> if that, then I'm preaching very badly if you're kind of going, ooh, I like that one more than I like that one. What I'm trying to say is you're prone to one. If you think one of them seems worse than the other, you are in the other camp. If you listen to, inferior, if you listen to indifference and go, that is terrible, no society can work like that, then you are a religious person. And if you are going, religiosity is the scum of the earth, Ugh, I hate it. You are an indifferent person. They're equally wrong, equally bad. So the person who's running off, committing, going, you know, the, the young Christian, let's say the young single Christian is going to all the nightclubs and sleeping around and, and getting drugs and ta- uh, uh, taking drugs and is no worse then the person who's showing up every week at church and at community group and singing the loudest and giving the most and reading their Bible and fasting, but they think all those things make them a better Christian than that person. Because they both, the only thing that makes them anything is their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they can both forget that. And they both have. Do you, you understand? And those of you who don't, we can talk about it more afterwards and you can... <laughs> You can correct me. Please don't correct me while I'm trying to preach. Um, The church is usually like this. It's not usually like this. Often. Huh. So, if pride is anyone who sees no need for God, then there is no doubt that this type of person is full of pride. What is God doing in the world? The answer is he's turning life upside down. He's emptying the life of the self-reliant. And he's filling the humble with grace and mercy. I'm just trying to think if I should move on and I've thought I'm going to move on. 
How is God emptying the proud self-reliance and filling the humble with grace and mercy? Or how is God lowering the proud self-reliance and lifting the humble with grace and mercy? Something we want to answer, right? We don't want to just know stuff. How's God actually doing it? The tax collector cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul writes, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What he's talking about is Jesus Christ. The way that God is turning things around is through what seems to be weak and foolish, which is the death of Christ upon the cross. Instead of God exampling his strength, his arm, because remember Mary singing, you have shown the strength of your arm. Instead of him just flexing and just bombarding the world with, here's my kingdom, here's my rule, here's my reign. You're either out, you're either in, or you're out. At which he, you know, you can't just end all things and start again. Instead of that, he comes as a babe. It's born as a man, enters, our, enters humanity, enters our weakness, enters our limitations, enters our temptations without stumbling, goes through the cycle of the world for three decades, the seasons, learns a trade, and finally, he announces his kingdom most profoundly upon the cross where he dies. But not before saying the words, it is finished. The work that I've come to do is finished. What a foolish way to flex your power. Who wins by dying? Who wins by going down low? What king wins by becoming nothing? What kingdom advances by literally being crucified? But the scripture says what, what the world sees as weakness is God's wisdom, uh, strength. And what the world sees as foolishness, there's no way, is God's wisdom. He's doing something more than you can imagine. And if God reached us in this way, if this is how we are reached through the humility of Christ upon the cross, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then this is how we will reach God. If that's how He reached us, then that's how we reach Him. In other words, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God became humble in order to save us and we find God in our humility. And in our pride, we stand in opposition to Him. So number two, what what, what is God like? What God is like? God is mighty and holy and merciful. This is what Mary is saying. This is in her song. God's might isn't something that we gave to Him. We didn't make up a God and then go, okay, let's make Him mighty. That would be a good one. Good attribute. Let's vote. Everyone good to make God mighty? Yep, we need a mighty God. Great. God is, my- God is so mighty. How mighty is He going to be? Like super mighty, abundantly mighty, or just like a little more mighty? God's going to be massively mighty. Nah. What we know about God is what we've seen from what God does. In other words, we're describing His deeds not our preferences. Parents are like this. They describe their children not as they are, but as they wish. (laughs) Have you ever heard a parent describe their child? Their child is either, either far worse than they really are in reality. That little... 
or they are much better than their child could actually ever be. Parents have got no idea about reality. As a parent of four, I haven't known reality for 13 years, 14 years. I don't even remember when I lost reality. That's not how we are with God. All we know about Him is what we've seen. We're just describing what, what we've known through history, what we've seen. And we've seen His mighty. From, uh, Sarah con- well, from the creation of the world to Sarah, Sarah conceiving Isaac, the Israelites rescued from Egypt, Noah building the ark, crossing the Jordan, the way that God got, got Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. I mean, you can just go through story after story after story after story that shows God's might when He moves upon the world. But nothing more, nothing more than Mary carrying Jesus and then Jesus dying upon the cross. In this room, in this room with these two uh, ladies, one old, one young, one married, one single, one barren, one not, but she's single. She's not supposed to know if she can have children or not yet. Both pregnant, both miraculously. This obscure picture, which these two women together pregnant, is the center of what God is doing in the whole world. Told you he uses the oddballs. And his might comes through the womb of a single teenage girl. Nothing more ever than Jesus has shown God's ultimate might in the world. When God could show his love, his mercy, his grace, a way to forgiveness, when God can make a way, he showed nothing mightier than Jesus dying upon the cross where he defeated sin and death. Through his death, he put death to death. And through his resurrection, He has the keys to give life. Jesus also showed us God's holiness. Holiness doesn't always only refer to perfect moral character. Often it does in the Bible, but it's not only perfect moral character. Holiness also, in its meaning, has within it the sovereign authority. That It's a name above all names. It's a name separate to names. That It's a name not under any name. It's a name over all names. And so when Mary is saying God is holy, she's saying, There's no one who can tell him what to do. God determines what to do for humanity. God decides. He has sovereign authority to work for humanity as he wishes. And no one shows us more what God wants to do in his sovereignty than Jesus. And God in his sovereign authority defeats death and gives life. I mean, think about that. Would you go to that doctor? If there was a doctor in Perth who all they did was defeat death and give life, would you go? Their expertise, their specialty, I defeat death and give life. Would you go? If there was a teacher in a school and their specialty was to defeat death and give life, would you get your kid in that school? Would you ask that teacher to be your child's uh, teacher? If you knew anyone, any, any cafe, any boss, any car salesman, house salesman, and all they did all day was just defeat death and give life, wouldn't you want to work with them? Wouldn't you want to know them? Wouldn't you want to come alongside them? And yet when we're talking about how humanity is rescued, all we learn about God is that He defeats death and gives life through Jesus. And yet, sometimes we oppose Him in our pride. 
what Jesus uh, also shows us is God is merciful. That God exercises might through Jesus by authoritatively destroying the curse of sin and death on the cross and through His resurrection raising to life and then mercifully offering the sinners for whom He died forgiveness. We know God is merciful because of Jesus. Because what is the cost of salvation? Someone tell me. We could almost be in the deep south now. (laughs) Death, what's the cost to you? Nothing. The cost of salvation is nothing. Jesus says, those who are thirsty, come and drink. Those who are hungry, come and eat. Those who need salvation, come. It's free. Because the, the, the cost has been paid. His loving kindness is given to us. So the gospel of Jesus reveals that God is mighty to save uniquely able to save because he's holy and mercifully willing to save God-fearers. So why was Mary, what made Mary fit for service? Last point. Here's Mary and Elizabeth at the very center of what God is doing in the world. These two unknown women, unimportant women, and yet at the very center, the two most important women in history, Why? Because God was exalting the humble. God was using two women just willing to be used by God. Just willing. What made Mary fit for service? The answer is simple. Humility. Not her position in society, she had none. Not her resources, she had none. Not her family name, she had a family, but it wasn't getting her anywhere. What, what made her fit for God to use her, to bring Jesus into her life? One thing, humility. What makes you fit for Jesus to be in your life? To walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and know Jesus. Just one thing. Just one thing, Humility. What stops that? What hinders that? What gets in the way of that? Just one thing. Self-reliance. Pride. She was a God-fearer, is is her language of the song. Those who fear God, those who fear God are those who are humble, those who know they need God. It's not that they walk around and God comes around and goes, ah! It's not that kind of, it's, I know I need you. There's an awe, there's a wonder, there's a humility, there's a respect, there's a sense of, I can't walk without you, I need God. That's a God-fearer versus a self-reliant person. Ah, maybe I need a little bit of God, but I don't really, not too much. I'm okay today. Thank you. Maybe tomorrow. I'll let you know. Mary's response to Jesus being in her life is to sing for joy, to rejoice. That's, that's what we find out about Mary. That's how she starts. My soul sings. My spirit is full of joy. Because Jesus is in her life, not just in her life, Jesus is in her womb. She rejoices. She sings. She's so happy. She's so delighted. She's exalted God in her humility. Jesus was good news to Mary. Jesus in messing up Mary's whole life was great news to Mary. 
And when Jesus comes into our life, it comes with the promise to mess our whole life up. He's good at a few things. One of the things is to mess your whole life up. He's great at it. And you and I need our lives messed up because without Him, we're dead in the water. And with Him, we're only alive. And so He turns things upside down and back to front and inside out. And He takes our dreams and He chucks them out and gives us better ones. And He takes our desires and goes, no, 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 and then helps us get new desires. And He takes our hopes and dreams and says, well done for hoping and dreaming, but let me put a better hope and dream into you. He says, you shouldn't walk alone, let me give you a spirit. You still shouldn't walk alone, let me give you a community. He says, you're living for tomorrow, let me give you eternity. He says, you're living for yourself, let me give you myself. He says, you get out of bed in the morning for your dreams, let me ask you to die to yourself and get out of bed in the morning for my dreams for you. He just turns everything upside down. He says, he knows us. He says he knows the hairs on our head. I don't know the hairs on my head. And for some of you, that's easy. And <coughs> You and Jesus. You and Jesus. <laughs> that's not totally fair. <coughs> the, po- the point that Scripture is just trying to get across is God knows us. Yeah. He understands us. He knows what He's doing with us. He knows where He's taking us. He has every moment of every day accounted for. He never doesn't know what He wants to do with your life. And all He needs is humility. That's all. And because of Jesus in Mary's life, she raises God's name above all names and rejoices in Him. Here's two questions I want to ask you. Does God still oppose the proud today? And does He give grace to the humble. Today, not Mary's day, not James's day, this day in Perth, I want to ask you the question, does God still oppose the proud and give grace to the humble? If He does, please don't be proudful. Please humble yourself. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't resist God. He loves you so much. He only gives life and destroys death. And if you do know Jesus, which is most of you in this church, I mean, most of you in this building, we're here because we know Jesus, because we love Jesus, because we're walking with Jesus. If He's going after something in your life, please don't resist Him, because He will oppose you. Please humbly let Him cause havoc, because wherever He does that, He brings life. His life, good life. Second question is, should someone's relationship with Jesus cause them to rejoice today? Do you have a song in your heart because Jesus is in your life? I'm not going to ask any of you to sing it. Partly for us, partly for you. Do you have a song in your heart? Do you have a dance in your step? Do you have a feeling? Do you have a thought? Or is the heartbeat of Jesus just I believe is there. I believe, I believe, I believe. Is there any And then the more excited you get I'm not going to keep doing the heartbeats but you know what it's like. Let me read to you um, in closing, let me read to you a, a prayer that was written by, I don't know who, but collected in a book called The Valley of Vision, which was Puritan's Prayers. But I don't know who specifically wrote this one. 
living for Jesus. Savior of sinners, your name is excellent. Your glory is high. Your compassions unfailing. Your condescension wonderful. Your mercy tender. I bless you for the discoveries, invitations, and promises of the gospel. For in them is mercy for rebels, freedom for captives, health for the sick, redemption for the lost. I come to you in the beloved name of Jesus. Re-impress your image upon my soul. Raise me above the smiles and frowns of the world, regarding it as light, a light thing to be judged by men. May your approval be my only aim, your word my only rule. May your approval be my only aim, your word my only rule.